Welcome to Freedom Matters Today. This is week 10, part 7 of our series, Freedom from Fascism, a Christian response to mass formation psychosis. I am Michael J. Sutton. The theme for this week is mass formation psychosis and religion. Why are the churches lying about taxation? The topic for today's podcast is The Churches Must Be Taxed. The churches must do their bit for society. They must be taxed. During COVID hysteria, Christian fascists insisted that they would get vaccinated out of their love for others. They said that vaccine passports were an act of love for society. If so, then they must also pay tax. If they voluntarily pay tax, then they are also acting in love for the society they pretend to promote and support. The reason is that the verse in the Bible they often use to promote vaccines is Romans 13, where Paul insists twice that the church must pay tax. Chapter 13, verses 6 and 7. It's time to come clean and cough up the dough for the nation. Christian fascists love to tell people what to do. That's the difference between a Christian and a Christian fascist. Christians want to tell people about Jesus. Christian fascists want to tell people what to do and how to live. Christian fascists love to abuse people and harass people. Yet their own Bible tells them to do their bit for the nation out of love. If they do not pay tax, then they're not acting out of love, are they? Churches must be taxed. For a start, land taxes should be paid on all property to all levels of government as a contribution to society. Why should churches be exempt? Churches often own a lot of property. Much of it was given by the state long ago. Churches should obey the law and do their bit for the nation. After all, they expect everyone else to. The Pope, for example, makes fun of capitalism. It's one of his hobbies. He hates the market system, and yet his church bypasses the tax system. Hardly a justified criticism of the system. Church taxation also proves religious freedom. Churches will oppose taxation because they will say it is an attack on religious freedom. How can it be? How can something everyone is expected to do affect their freedom. Taxation affects everyone. Surely their exemption from the tax system is an attack on religious freedom because it enshrines principles that discriminate against people who choose not to believe in organized religion. Church taxation is perfectly consistent with what we can call religious freedom. It's not an attack on religious freedom. I pay tax. Freedom Matters Today pays tax. I have faith in God, and yet I am able to pay tax. Why should the churches get special dispensation because they invent traditions that are not in the Bible and hide behind political power? God demands taxation, and non-payment is, in fact, a sin. In fact, the payment of tax is Christian. God wants it, and God demands it. Taxation of the church is in the Bible. In fact, the same Bible these hypocrites quote, quote, to prop up their unbiblical notion of the separation of church and state. The church and state have never been separate, certainly not in the West. 
It is the taxation of the church and the end of Christian fascism that will lead to the true separation of church and state. It's also time to set education free of the popes and the bishops. While we're on the subject of the separation of church and state, let us consider the religious schools or the private schools that exist to educate. They exist to do that, of course, to educate children, but they also exist to prop up Christian churches. Unlike churches that are run into the ground by incompetence and stupidity, many private schools or many Christian schools are run as successful models of higher education. These schools are often in receipt of large sums of money from the state, and yet the church still wants to control the curriculum and philosophy of the schools. It is time to bring that relationship to an end. The schools should, of course, be thankful for their religious origins and possibly employ some chaplains and so on, but they should be independent entirely and effectively from sectarian religious power. I say this for the sake of the children, who should be free to learn, not forced to conform to the whim of the bishops on any given Sunday. The same should be said for other Christian institutions tied to the state, such as social service providers, hospitals and nursing homes. They all need to be truly separate. After all, church and state must be separate. Christian fascists pull out the Bible only when it suits them. Like those who say that all that matters is love, many church leaders say that all that matters is the Bible, but they don't believe that either. Money is their God. It's a disgrace to hear some Christian leaders demand tax exemption from the government and then in the same breath say that they stand up for the poor, the oppressed and the maligned. It is what you call hypocrisy. Here is where the rubber hits the road, if you like. Romans 13 tells us that Christians should obey the government. This has been used to proof-text obedience to every public health directive in the West for the last two years. It has been used to accuse Christians of disobeying God if they even have another opinion on the coronavirus. Let us forget, not forget, that the churches always ignore this passage when that suits them. They were silent over covid but they will not be silent over losing their money. If the government decided to tax churches tomorrow, I would expect if they're good Christians, will not the churches simply obey the government? After all, that's what they've said for the last two years. We must obey the government. We are not allowed to protest. We cannot ask questions. We cannot criticize. We must do as we're told, because the government has been ordained by God. If the government decided to tax the church tomorrow, surely that would be their response. Of course it won't be. It would be the complete opposite. Churches would oppose it, and they would say that it's the right of the Christian church to oppose unjust laws. But they're not unjust, nor are they unbiblical, because in the same chapter of Romans, Paul tells the church to pay tax. It's unambiguous. All the texts on taxation in the New Testament refer to everyone in the church, including the church itself. Paul makes no distinction. Churches must be taxed. It is impossible to ignore this biblical principle any longer. Let me repeat. Churches must be taxed. It is God's will for his people. 
tax was no big de- was no big deal for Paul, whom the church despises. Ah, the irony! Christian fascists hate Paul, and you'll hear lots of sermons if you go to their churches about how evil Paul was. But Paul was a good citizen. He was a Roman citizen, as well as being Jewish. He obeyed the law. He didn't mind taxation. In fact, all good Christians are the best citizens. They obey the law. They love others as Christ loved loved, um, his people. Also, they promote the peace and prosperity of the nation. And they live in harmony with others. The problem are not Christians. The problem are Christian fascists. Christian fascists are the ones who mix faith and politics. Churches must be taxed to finally break the political power of Christian fascism. Paul does not expect the church to be granted charity status. Paul does not insist on the rights of churches. Paul insists that whatever taxes are required, churches should pay them to fulfill the law of God. Surely that is reason enough. Paul is telling the Church of Rome to pay tax. He is telling the Church everywhere that taxation is a normal, acceptable way to seek the peace and prosperity of the city and the nation. If you're in the government and you're listening to this podcast or you're reading the blog, know this. God is on your side if you want to tax the Church. Let me repeat that again so you can understand it clearly. If you want to tax the Christian church, God is on your side. He is on the side of the state because he fully expects the church to contribute to society. Taxation is a God-approved method of governing society. In fact, you can quote Romans 13. You can even enshrine the text of Romans in your government declaration. Most modern churches, I believe, churches that are not state-based, would have no problem at all paying tax. Indeed, many of them would be better off under a taxed regime. The less government money for churches, the more efficient and prosperous they will be anyway. You see, in the old days, churches were involved in business. These days, the tax rules around charities are a noose, not a source of financial freedom for many churches. Like companies, in the days of trade protectionism hiding behind a tariff wall that destroyed their competitive spirit, churches hiding behind the charity rules has meant that they have become bloated, inefficient, often corrupt, and often in debt. Also, if you're in the government and you're listening to this podcast, know this, charity status is not protected by the Bible. Charity status of the churches is not a gospel issue, nor is so-called religious freedom for that matter. There's no biblical proof for either. Jesus Christ said to expect persecution if you are my disciples. The apostles said the same thing. Indeed, all the apostles save John were martyred for their faith. Churches that use the Bible to avoid the payment of tax are lying to God and they're lying to you. The payment of tax is not persecution, however. The payment of tax is obedience to the law of God, 
which is what Paul was talking about. The apostates who told us to obey the government and not speak out on COVID use chapter 13 of Romans often, but they ignore, as many hypocrites do, the very next verses about paying tax. A Christianity without Christian fascism is a blessing. Christianity is a personal faith. It's not a corporate religion. Christianity is a relationship with a living God, one that exists every day. It is not something that is bound in a weekly ritual in a place called church. Christianity is a personal relationship with God. It is not membership to the church. Faith leads to God, while religion leads to the church. The idea that God lives in the church building is nonsense. Christians are united to God by faith, and this is every day. These truths are all found in the Bible, which the church usually keeps closed for obvious reasons. What this means is quite simple. You can have Christianity without the church. The church can be done away with entirely. In fact, the abolition of the church, the denominations, the tax-free slush fund paradise, the institution of abuse and misery, the source for most sectarian division and hatred for hundreds of years is good for faith, good for the gospel, and good for the community. It is time for a new beginning. Most Christians, however, would not dare to speak these views out loud. They fear exclusion and excommunication. I would rather be faithful to God and his word, the Bible. Also, I fear God, who can kill both body and soul in hell. In addition, I also wish to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had no problem with the state. He did not oppose it. It was simply irrelevant for the kingdom of God. Jesus said, His kingdom was not of this world. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.50 that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This means Christian fascists are liars, frauds and hypocrites. They hide behind religion for their own selfish, violent, corrupt purposes. They bring disgrace to God, to faith, to all people who seek to live out their lives as followers of Jesus Christ. The Christian church, though corrupt, is still one of the most powerful institutions in the West and wields incredible political power. It is also the recipe for social chaos. Christians, on the other hand, are instruments of peace. There is a profound difference. I hope that my writings and my blog and my podcast prove the difference between the corrupt institutions of Christian fascism and the genuine hearts of faithful Christians. Churches must pay tax because Christians do it all the time. A Christianity without the church is necessary to fix their money problems. The average, the average Christian is a taxpayer, and a good one. The average Christian is a law-abiding citizen, but no churches pay tax. All churches expect special treatment. All churches expect the laws of the land do not apply to them. Their surrogates, patrons and disciples in the state and in democratic parties ensure special treatment and protection. These beliefs suggest that there is a disconnect 
between the lives of ordinary Christians and the houses of God they frequent. But churches must be taxed to avoid the temptation of greed. Christians and many people know that money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is not that money is evil itself, money is a necessity, but it is the love of money that causes most of the problems in the church. Priests like to tell their flock to beware of idols or things that distract them from supporting the church financially. The church, however, has become an idol. It has become a high place, a place of idolatry. Money is the god of the established church. Go to Germany and see the beautiful Lutheran churches. I mean the beautiful, empty Lutheran churches. Go to France or any European nation, even Britain, it's the same. There is a massive decline in church membership. Churches are declining because of inner failing. They're in decline because people are not stupid. People are not blind. People see with their eyes and things do not add up and they see the church and they see the hypocrisy and they see the money and they listen to the sermons and things do not add up. They see that money is all that matters to the church. It is not Christ nor his exclusive claims about himself or his gospel. The church has built its monuments of stone, brick, mortar and gold. They wear the robes or the best Italian suits and they tell you that you must preach a different gospel to the rich than you preach to the poor in case you offend them. And most of the church scandals are over money. Indeed, most of the spectacular collapses of Christian churches in the West have been over money. Money has done more damage to the gospel in the last 100 years than anything else. Like the alcoholic who can't hold his liquor, the church is the same with money. They are the worst people to be entrusted with it. Why do the churches ignore the teaching of Christ on wealth? It is astounding to me to read what Christ taught about money and then go to church. These verses and teachings of Christ are the first to be deleted from any church's understanding of God. Let me use the words of Christ himself. It is impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Impossible. Jesus encountered a man who claimed to obey to have obeyed all the commandments of God. That's fine, says Jesus. Jesus told him to go and sell all his possessions, give the money to the poor, and follow Christ. The man could not, because he was very wealthy, and he went away. Jesus told him to do this because he knew the man's heart. Indeed, you can imagine him there in all his finery and wealth, boasting about his faithfulness to God. Everyone around him probably thought he was a righteous man because he was wealthy. But Jesus exposed his true love, which was himself and his love of money. The parable of the rich young ruler in the Gospels is a parable of the church. The love of money is the Achilles heel of the Western church. But imagine a church admitting its failings and wanting to change. Wouldn't it be marvellous if things were different? Imagine a world where churches recognise the corrupt and violent history, the pain they've caused, and they decided to prove their repentance in actions, not words. Imagine that. 
In Australia, they still deny their complicity in the genocide of the Indigenous people across the land, and they still deny their role in the suffering of Indigenous people ever since. Imagine a church that said, We must pay tax. Imagine a church in the West that offered to pay property taxes and income tax simply because they wanted to contribute to society, to walk with people, alongside people, enjoying the experiences of ordinary people so that they might sympathize with the lives of ordinary people. Imagine a world where churches are not corrupt, where they know how to run businesses properly and judiciously and become places where people want to congregate instead of avoiding. Imagine a church where ministers and priests had practical skills. Imagine a church where priests had a real job and had genuine respect in their community. The early disciples were fishermen. Matthew was an accountant by trade, Paul was a tent maker, and Jesus was a carpenter. It says it all, doesn't it? I could go further. Barnabas was a merchant, so was Aquila and his wife. They were in the fabric trade. Some of the women who knew Christ during his public ministry used their own personal finances for the disciples. Their faith was expressed or bore fruit through the lives they were living in this world. Contrast this with the unproductive and disgraced class of priests and religious leaders. Priests are a relic of the landed aristocracy, a class of people who often get everything for free, especially the wealthy denominations. Free houses, free rent, free transport, often cooked meals, and their kids, if Protestant, can sometimes go to the best church schools. In many poor nations, many believe the church is the ticket to the good life, and priests are highly respected people of wealth. Imagine a church where priests tried to follow Jesus instead. Jesus Christ gave up his throne to become a man. Churches refuse to pay tax like everyone else because they live in the past and do not want to give up their power. But did not the Son of God give us his throne in heaven to walk among us, to share our suffering? Make up your own mind. Do you think priests are giving up enough? Are they making the appropriate sacrifices for God, following in the footsteps of our Lord? Did Jesus insist on his rights, his money, his position, and his tax exemptions? Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 to 20, these words, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile him to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Remember, freedom matters today because you matter to God. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can read today's podcast on our blog at freedommatterstoday.com or listen to all the earlier episodes of Freedom from Fascism. Join me tomorrow for another episode of Freedom Matters Today.